0: This is Beeson's College Football Betting Podcast.
1: Welcome in, everyone. Another edition of the College Football Betting Podcast. Uh, Thanks to you. Let's start there. It has been uh, made to our attention that the the numbers keep on going up. So let's keep it rolling. Keep telling friends and people about the College Football Betting Podcast. We're having a blast doing it Uh, once again every Sunday. You can catch the show live if you miss it. It's right here. In this feed, the Lines Revealed show is a very good episode this past week. Jonathan Von Tobel, who is your host, uh, he was joined in studio by Mitch Moss. And then this edition, every Tuesday, myself, Adam Burke, we take a look at the latest power ratings from Adam's uh, column on VEASAN.com, some situational spots. And then on Thursday, Matt Humans and I break down the entire card and what a card it will be this Weekend. Uh, it is one of those weekends where you tell your loved ones, I'm sorry, I'm sitting on the couch all day Saturday. That is how good this card is, and we'll get into it a little bit here uh, on this edition. But just a reminder, folks, if you're not a VSYN Pro subscriber, you're missing out on betting analysis from the sharpest talent in Las Vegas, as well as pro tips, betting systems, and easy tracking for all the picks. Sign up now for just 99 bucks. And you'll have access to VEASAN Pro all the way through the Super Bowl. And that means you'll get our subscriber-only betting guides to the College Bowl season and the Super Bowl all for less than the normal monthly rate. 99 bucks for VEASAN Pro now through the Super Bowl. Sign up at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Well, we have been uh, fortunate enough to grab Adam Burke as he turns his attention just for a moment away from his Cleveland Guardians. You could follow him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. Mr. Burke, how are you, sir? And uh, how are you going to maneuver around a incredible college card on Saturday while hopefully focusing on the Cleveland Guardians uh, taking care of business and heading to the ALCS?
0: Yeah, it would be great. It'd be great if Saturday was a uh, chance for them to move on. I, I will say, I mean, look, you know, being a Clevelander, born and bred, 35 years there in Cleveland, uh, the Guardians will come first on on Saturday over everything else, even though this is a very, very good college football card. But good to be back here on the show. Sorry I missed last week, had a family thing to take care of. And uh, like I said, just happy to be back as we're already halfway through the college football regular season after this week.
1: Yeah, I, I don't like when people bring that up. Um I, this is my favorite college basketball sport. though. Yeah, I know. I, I just, I, I just, I want to swim around in, in college football, but we're about to get really bogged down in a positive way. And just some phenomenal, phenomenal college football. in this weekend, the card is great as we talked about, but before we move forward and take a look fully into that card and some situational spots that could be, uh, on the radar, we got to do what we always do. And Take a look at a little stock report. Adam's Stock Report. All right, we'd like to be positive on this podcast on the Tuesday morning because it's a Tuesday morning and you may be a little groggy. Maybe you had uh, the Chiefs laying uh, a big number and uh, that didn't come home or you had the under on Monday Night Football. Whatever it may be, uh, here we are. So let's uh, look at a little stock up. Stock up. All right, Adam, VEason.com, That's where you can check out Adam's Power Ratings for each and every week, week seven now, and a team that has jumped quite a bit, and I think it coincides with the fact that their quarterback, who looked so good against Alabama, and looked the part once again against Oklahoma, and what a beatdown over the weekend. So what have you done with the Texas Longhorns? Are they back?
0: Well, they sure seem to be. Uh, I mean that that performance against Oklahoma and I realized Dylan Gabriel wasn't out there and and the Sooners were completely screwed on offense but Texas showed no mercy as they you know shouldn't in a game such as that so I moved Texas up seven points here with Quinn Ewers coming back off of that performance but obviously I haven't upgraded them enough because my number is short here this week against Iowa State so Does seem like the market very much in love with the Texas Longhorns right now. And, in fact, I see Jeff Sagarin has Texas as his fourth-ranked team in the country. So, I guess I still have to make another adjustment to the Longhorns. We'll see what they do in a difficult spot here this week against Iowa State. But I just want to mention, you know, Ewers comes back, looks great, obviously appears to be quite an upgrade over Hudson Card. But the quarterback situation across the country, you know, Malik Cunningham last week, Will Levis, Bryce Young. KJ Jefferson, Jalen Daniels gets hurt. Devin Leary from NC State also hurt. Tommy DeVito for Illinois. And Illinois, they should have covered that game. But, you know, DeVito goes out. Sitkowski doesn't really do anything at the quarterback position for any of the programs he's been with. But there are so many quarterbacks that are hurt. There are so many group of five teams that have made quarterback changes. I mean, you look at San Diego State, for example. You know, they made a quarterback change here over the weekend. Uh, they went with Jalen Maiden. He's played one game. He's played one game. He already leads the team in passing yards. So it's just, it's very, very hard right now to power rate these teams to kind of figure out where these numbers are going to be early in the week because there are just quarterback changes everywhere. And you've got some big differences between starter and backup across the country. So admittedly, it's it's been a difficult college football season for me kind of across the board but right now with these quarterback injuries it's just extremely challenging to know how to rate some of these teams properly
1: yeah uh th- th- there's no doubt and you certainly look at Texas and the way that Alabama game played out they they should have you know one questionable calls go against them uh down the stretch Bryce Young makes some magical plays Quinn Ewers gets hurt uh it's it's really a big what if and you know they're one of those teams that if we did have the expanded playoff, you wonder. And you know, once again, they lost to Texas Tech in a kind of a crazy game, um, and they got a lot of work still ahead of them. But uh, they they looked the part, and we'll see this weekend. I actually in in a shortened letdown list, in my opinion, uh, they're they're on it. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. But I want to keep rolling with uh, with your power ratings, and you know, a team that um, we're going to get into it. I tweeted out on Monday about some popular dogs and I was hoping to get some splits. And I think that's going to be something we're going to move forward. Uh, Adam, I'm going to grab some early, early uh, betting splits and just, just see where the public is coming in. As we know, most of the general public doesn't bet on college football until Friday or Saturday, but there are some games that I really feel like are going to be uh lopsided dogs, which is really rare and I don't know what the public's going to do with this game, and that's Penn State and Michigan. Penn State at Michigan. Penn State right now, as we sit here, Adam is a seven-point underdog, and uh, you've upgraded Penn State, and and I would agree with that. I, I've been impressed by the Nittany Lions this year. Uh, I faded them week one. They were fortunate to win on the road at Purdue, but since then, I've, I've been I've been thoroughly impressed. I mean, you know, two weeks ago, kind of a weird spot. One that I wish we had pointed out on the podcast where they had a bye week and then Michigan waiting, playing Northwestern who has been just absolutely garbage and they struggle a little bit and don't cover. But uh, what have you done so far with uh, Penn State? I know this is uh, one of your bigger risers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I started putting my numbers together and, and I got to this a little bit late, but I started putting my numbers together and I was nowhere near the market number on this game. I had Michigan. About a, I think a 15, 16 point favorite in this one. And I was like, well, that can't possibly be right if the market's sitting there at seven. So I did wind up upgrading Penn State uh, about four and a half points here. And I still have this as a double digit favorite line for Michigan. First of all, I'm not a big James Franklin guy. So I'm, I'm always slow to react when it comes to Penn State because he's such a bad in-game coach. But I think part of this, and, and there's a lot of this out there in the marketplace for this week. And this is something that we probably want to talk about a little bit more here as we go forward. Michigan, according to Jeff Sagarin, has played the 111th ranked schedule in the country. (laughs) So there are some teams out there that haven't been challenged or haven't been challenged much. And their lines have been a little bit shaded relative to their strength of schedules here. Not that Penn State's played a grueling slate or anything like that. They're 70th in Sagarin's strength of schedule. But obviously they're getting a little bit more respect for the body of work that they've played so far as opposed to Michigan. So I think maybe that's something where I kind of had a a mispricing on this game, but I did, you know, start putting my numbers together and and thought, well, I guess I'm, you know, maybe a little bit too low on the Nittany lions. So we'll see if I was right to move them up or if, or if maybe the market was wrong in this game, but I don't know, seven still looks cheap to me.
1: Yeah. And uh, once again, there are five top 20 teams that are underdogs. Now, some of them are facing fellow ranked teams. Um, And some are higher, including Penn State facing a higher ranked team in Michigan. So, we're going to get to those games a little bit later on. But, you know, continuing to take a look at at your power ratings. um, You know, Boise State is a team that I think a lot of people, uh, I know Jonathan Von Tobel wrote up Boise State for our Mountain West uh, preview to start the year. And he was, you know, low on Boise State, felt like this was a team, JV uh, Adam, that was kind of skating along based off of reputation and I think that proved out but it now feels like the boys from Boise are actually are playing pretty well the Mountain West to be honest this year is is all over the place man I mean I took a and I mentioned this on VEASAN primetime last week I I took a six to one on San Jose State at, at MGM last week to win the conference just look at their schedule how it plays out they're now a north of a touchdown favorite on the road at Fresno because of the injury to Jake Hayner. Um, you know, San Jose State is after opening the season looking like complete and utter garbage and being fortunate to beat FCS Portland State has really turned it around and thumped UNLV. But, you know, Boise State, uh new offensive coordinators you pointed out in your write up in Dirk Cutter, it, it looks like
0: you know, they're starting to show some life there in Boise. Yeah, back to back weeks for the Broncos with three hundred and sixteen rushing yards. So I guess they've kind of realized that they're very thin at the quarterback position. They've decided to load up with the run, and it's been very beneficial for them. And it's always intriguing when you get these scenarios where a team's really badly underperforming. Didn't necessarily love the hire of Andy Avalos there, but you know I don't really know. It's, it's very challenging when you kind of start having all that coaching turnover. But I thought maybe the offensive coordinator was just being scapegoated here. Evidently not, because their offense looks much, much better now with Dirk Cotter telling them what to do. You know, A guy that's obviously extremely experienced both in the college and the pro level. So I moved Boise State up four and a half points, and they're on a bye this week, so I don't know if that's an accurate representation of how much better they are or not. We'll see what their line looks like next week. But this ground game is very, very potent for the Broncos right now. And to your point, I mean, the Mountain West is just, not good. I mean, you and I really liked Air Force coming into the year. They've underwhelmed significantly. The West Division is just awful top to bottom outside of San Jose State. And I guess UNLV to some degree, but they've come back to earth now. Um, I mean, Boise State, San Jose State might actually be your title game here.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I would actually feel okay uh, about my my situation there at 6-1. to one. But, but a lot of football still to be played there. Uh, Out in the Mountain West to staying out West and a team that, you know, we didn't know what to make of UCLA, kind of had a little bit of a Michigan syndrome with the non conference schedule that they played of uh, hold on to your your shorts here, folks. It was uh, Bowling Green, it was South Alabama, and how could I forget Alabama State? So, uh, you know, UCLA's power rating in the state of Alabama is pretty strong considering they beat South Alabama and Alabama State. On a game winning field goal. Then they played Colorado. But two Fridays ago, they had that impressive win over Washington. And then this past weekend, in a situation where I didn't know what to do was it a letdown spot for UCLA? Was it a look ahead spot for Utah? Was it neither? Because both of these teams are top 20. And ultimately, UCLA does it again. Dorian Thompson Robinson, very strong, four touchdown passes. Uh, they have continued to prove that Zach Charbonnet is the real deal at running back. And, you know, Utah handed their second loss, which I actually kind of like heading into this USC game, which we'll get to in a moment. But UCLA now 6-0, no letdown coming this weekend, Adam, because they're off. And then they have a chance to play Oregon. So, really, UCLA, you know, you look at teams like Washington or a team like, uh, I think, USC uh, avoids Oregon if my memory serves me correct there's no rest for the weary here for UCLA it's Washington Utah by week Oregon but if they get by Oregon boy are they set up nicely uh, regardless of the outcome the second to last weekend of the season against USC to be in the Pac-12 championship game here in Las Vegas so what have you done uh, with Chip Kelly's squad after another impressive win
0: yeah, I bumped the Bruins up four points here and you know, I mean, I was on Washington in that game a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know, one of a string of bad bets I seem to be making here lately. And and the Pac twelve is just a very challenging conference to figure out, I think year in and year out. But UCLA looks very, very strong, at least offensively. Defensively, they still have some issues. And that's a concerning thing when you go up against a team like Oregon, who you know, they had that game against Georgia and they've looked really, really good since then. So You know, maybe the Ducks have kind of figured something out, but then it was hard. You know, I I looked at this and I'm thinking, okay, I don't know the last time somebody had over eight yards per play in a conference game against Utah. It's something that just doesn't happen. But then you also look back at that win over Washington, who lost to Arizona State last week, and you kind of wonder, okay, well, maybe Washington's just not that good. Are we sure that Utah is that good with the two losses that they have already? So. I moved UCLA up four points. Again, I don't know if that's an accurate representation because they're on a buy here as well. But all of a sudden, this this Pac-12 is uh, kind of throwing me for a loop a little bit, especially with a team like Oregon State where they have a coaching change. I dropped the Beavers five and a half points this week to kind of get more in line with the market. Uh, it's just a lot of moving parts in the Pac-12 to be sure.
1: Yeah, there really is. And you look at a team that you also upgraded, it was at Arizona State. I mean... Who saw this coming? But apparently, uh, the goal last weekend should have been, if we had a crystal ball, bet on every team with an interim coach because they went four and zero. Now they also Colorado didn't lose, so that's good. You know, shout out Mike Pritchard's uh, alma mater. Good job not losing on your bye week. But you look at uh, Arizona State. You look at Wisconsin. um, You know, Georgia Tech is now on two in my under three and a half. Uh, two in a row, I should say. My under three and a half bet looks completely dead with uh, with their win over Duke this past weekend. So uh, apparently, interim coaches are are where it thrives, uh, you know, moving forward. Uh, just to kind of poke around a little bit more at your uh, your your power ratings. Uh, so we mentioned, you know, other teams. You've upgraded Texas State. Who saw that coming? Uh, they beat Appalachian State. Smoked them over the weekend. I, I I can't figure that team out. I've bet on them multiple times and have been wrong, so I just stayed away. And of course, they go out and win against Appalachian State. Uh, a game that I was at here in Las Vegas. Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame goes out and beats BYU. BYU another tricky team to kind of figure out it was the first game this year Adam that they had both Gunnar Romney and Puka Nakua playing together and Nakua ended up with no receptions in that game um so and it was a game where Notre Dame was you know up 25 to 6 and and BYU came back to make it a one possession game but ultimately Notre Dame prevailed 28 to 20 so and when you look at the Irish. They've seemed to figure some things out. And we actually talked about this after the North Carolina game when, you know, there was a bit of an upgrade for the Irish too. I don't think they're back to where we thought they were post Ohio State, Adam, but it feels like Notre Dame's kind of settling in as, okay, they're not as bad as the team that lost to Marshall, but maybe they're not a top 10 team. It feels like they're in that, you know, 15 to 25 range.
0: Yeah, I mean, for Notre Dame, look, it's tough coming out of the gate playing Ohio State, especially with Marcus Freeman and, you know, kind of the back and forth that happened between those two teams in the lead-up to that game. And, Marshall, I don't really know how you explain that one, but, you know, you had a first-time head coach. You had a quarterback change within the first three weeks of the season. You know, you you had that opener against Ohio State where, you know, now, as, as we look at Ohio State, now the favorite to win the national championship, That game, that data point kind of keeps looking better and better for Notre Dame, at least in terms of what their defense was able to do. But you mentioned it, you know, right after that game, I think pretty much against Cal, where you said, you know, the offensive line looks like they're finally getting a push. And that's a really big thing in college football. You know, if you can control the trenches, it's the same thing in the NFL, but if you can control the trenches, you can be a very successful college football team. Notre Dame's done that here in their last three games. I would certainly expect them to do it this week against Stanford and definitely against UNLV the following week. So I think Notre Dame is a team that, you know, I, I kind of have almost back to where I had them in the preseason. And they're a team where they're trending upward.
1: Yeah. And, you know, being there in person and that being the team that I follow the closest, I, I said it on the Thursday podcast with Matt and gave out Notre Dame minus minus one seventy on the money line. Cause I just didn't want to mess with, you know, three and a half, four. And it's, yeah, I felt like that BYU game in Vegas was was critical to the season for from this standpoint. You know, you fall to two and three, you know, where where are you headed? You know, now you look at the schedule ahead, as you mentioned, Stanford, you're north of a two touchdown favorite. We'll mention that and let down spots potentially. UNLV kind of come back to earth and we'll get to them and, and your stock down here. And then Syracuse on the road, which could be tricky, but I also think the situational spot for Syracuse there is terrible because they'll be coming off of back-to-back games against NC State and Clemson. And, you know, what's their state of mind? Where are they at at that point in the season? Um, And then Notre Dame plays Clemson. you know, I I think that Notre Dame-Clemson game right now has the makings of being maybe what we thought it could be preseason, which is Clemson's probably going to be undefeated and Notre Dame will be 6 and 2 and in the top 25 I do think that game poses a lot of issues for Notre Dame uh, offensively but you know this they're doing what what was hoped they would do ultimately and that's dominate the offensive line uh there's still some to be desired defensively in my opinion but I think the strength of this team is now bearing out and that's the offensive line if you watch that game Drew Pine could eat sandwiches back there trying to, you know, work through his progressions and, and find Michael Mayer or Jaden Thomas or whatever it was. And then when they needed it, they were able to run the ball and and get the, you know, game-clinching game, game clinching first down there in Las Vegas. So, uh, you know, impressed by this team. Don't think they're a top-10 team. Didn't think they were a top-10 preseason team. And, uh, you know, I think they're probably a top-15, top-20 team. And, you know, the likelihood of being either 8-4 and four or 9-3 is – is kind of realistic now, where after the Marshall game, you would have thought, is this team even going to be bowl eligible?
0: What's fascinating about Notre Dame here is you get the Clemson game on November fifth. Mm-hmm. I I don't know what that number may look like. I think probably Notre Dame a small home dog in that one.
1: Yeah, and and just to put a little context on that, I I texted our good friend Chris Andrews. And this was, you know, as as you do with your power ratings, odds makers do it as well. Chris told me last week, because I went on a Notre Dame podcast, that he made Notre Dame minus one. And then the next day, he actually sent me a text and said, you know what, I was off. I actually would have Clemson minus two. And I think that's more realistic. And I think the betting market would bet Clemson, and I would understand why. I would think that game will go off clemson probably in the three and a half to four and a half range maybe bounces around a little bit that key number of three because of of the strength of both of these defenses but they will they will definitely be a dog but they'll be a dog and they'll be north of a touchdown now against usc assuming that you know usc continues to be on this trajectory
0: yeah, I mean, I have Clemson minus one right now, so we'll see what it looks like between then and now. But you know, I was going to say you got that game against Clemson where if Notre Dame beats Clemson, that's probably a playoff eliminator for the Tigers. Mm-hmm. And then if Clemson does get bumped from that picture, if USC is able to beat Utah this week, Clemson might have the chair, Notre Dame excuse. me, might have the chance to play spoiler again right there Thanksgiving weekend against USC. So that would be kind of an, a really interesting dynamic here, you know, because obviously they schedule you know, a lot of quality power 5 competition and uh that would be that'd be a really interesting Thanksgiving weekend if they're in a position to possibly knock USC out of the playoff picture.
1: Yeah, and USC, I mean, if you remember correct you know remember in recent years USC's been down, but they've had an opportunity multiple times to knock out Notre Dame and and those games were kind of nip and tuck uh, out there in LA even with, you know, down USC team. So, all right, from the uh, positive we go to the negative. Let's take a look at some stock down. Stock down. All right, we'll go quicker through this one and we'll start with Oregon State. This is a team that one of my best bets I wrote it up for vison.com was Oregon State catching just under a touchdown against USC and they played great defensively and then offensively they were kind of all over the place. But now, I don't know what to make of this Oregon State team, and uh, you've kind of kind of hit them hard here uh,
0: in your power ratings. Yeah, I mean, this is one where I kind of had to make an adjustment to the market as well, where I, I started looking at my number, and I was like, okay, something, something is wrong here. Something is off in this game against Washington State. I had them a much, much larger favorite, and I still do have them more like a six-point favorite in this game against the Cougars. Maybe I'm too low on Wazoo. I guess that's certainly a possibility, but... You know, for Oregon State, I think something that maybe I haven't accounted for is when you're not a great program, and then all of a sudden you start playing these important games, you don't have a lot of depth. You know, you don't run 85 scholarships deep of, you know, three and four star types of guys, and they lose that close game to USC. They get blown out by Utah. And I give them a ton of credit, honestly, for beating Stanford last week. I know they didn't play up to expectation. That game could have obviously gone the other way. I give them a lot of credit. I give Jonathan Smith's program a lot of credit because they're building towards kind of having that standard of being able to bounce back. Will they do it here in this one? I don't know, but I had to move them down to be kind of more in line with the market, where the market has kind of soured on this Beavers team a little bit here with the last two data points.
1: Yeah. And very fortunate. And, you know, one of the letdown spots that I'm very curious about is Stanford. You know, Stanford has had one win all year. It was against FCS Colgate up until this week. They had not covered a game uh, against an F. They hadn't covered a game against anyone. They didn't cover against Colgate either. And they're right there up 27, 21. The game should be over and somehow Oregon state wins that game you know, magically, you know, what, how does this Stanford team respond going across country or three fourths of the way across country? It's a rivalry game, but still it just, it feels like a really tricky spot. But that being said, you know, Notre Dame, I was at the game. Notre Dame was, was, was juiced up for, for that opportunity to play in Las Vegas. And, you know, I, I think there's going to be some work for Marcus Freeman and his staff to make sure everyone's kind of buttoned up because I felt like Notre Dame was, was pretty on top of things. You know, they were, they were juiced for that game. They had those alt uniforms. The crowd was electric. Now, fortunately it's a night game. So I think that plays into avoiding a letdown, but I think Notre Dame and Stanford's a really intriguing game this weekend because is Stanford kind of figuring things out? Are they getting better? Or are they just deflated after a loss like that to Oregon State in that fashion? And then what is Notre Dame doing? Is it saying, hey, boys, let's let's rally together. Let's keep riding. Or is there a little bit of a step back after winning a game in a cool NFL stadium with some cool uniforms against a top 25 team? So, you know, the Notre Dame-Stanford game this weekend is really intriguing to me. And we've seen the market not really know what to do with it because it opened at circa at, I think, 17, it went down to 15 and a half, and now it's back at 17. So it, it you could see some kind of battling
0: there with this number, albeit it's a pretty big number regardless. Yeah, you know, I think one of the big problems with Stanford, and, and we'll see if they reach their breaking point here this season with, with David Shaw, but they're just boring. They're just bland on offense. They They don't do any of the things – that college offenses really do nowadays to move the football, to create explosive plays, all of that. And and then last week, you know, as I talked about, Oregon State is a team kind of depth shy. You know, they've played two very difficult games back-to-back, and Oregon State runs for almost 200 yards, and Stanford has 3.3 yards per carry. It's just not working in Palo Alto anymore, and it makes them really, really easy to defend. So honestly, even though my number is 14 on this Stanford-Notre Dame game, I'd be more inclined to lay the 16 and a half than I would be to take it.
1: Yeah, I, I would lean that way. I'm, I'm probably just going to ultimately stay away from this game no matter what. Um, but I, I, I think I think this Notre Dame team is starting to say, okay, we're, we're figuring it out. We know our identity. We can run the ball. We could throw it to Michael Mayer. We've got a couple receivers starting to maybe step up. And I think Drew Pine is starting to find his confidence. I, I don't know if Drew Pine will ever be a... A great quarterback, but his numbers are pretty darn impressive when you look at passing efficiency and completion percentage. So they're they're starting to kind of figure themselves out here, and the play calling with Tommy Reese too. So you know, um, curious to see how they come out because I think a lot of us expected them to build off of Ohio State and thump Marshall. That was a common thought, and I think the in the market said so, and they obviously lost that game. So it's a different situation now with Drew Pine there, but. Uh, Yeah, curious to see how that game uh, ultimately plays out. Just quickly, uh, a couple other teams that that got dinged for you. Uh, NC State, now they've got Devin Leary banged up, so they're kind of a tricky team to figure out. But even if Devin Leary's healthy, Adam, did you downgrade
0: NC State? Yeah, I moved NC State down four points. I'd move them down six more if Leary isn't able to play here this week. So overall, it would be a 10-point adjustment for them with four coming just because they've underperformed and kind of relative to the market, they've really underperformed. And then six more points uh, if Leary's out. Another one I want to mention quickly, we kind of talked about them already, UNLV down four and a Mm -hmm. half points for me. So in that game against Utah State that they won 34-24, UNLV was plus six in turnover margin in that game. Still only won by 10 points. They've virtually beat New Mexico at home by four. They had a pick six in the final half minute of that game to make it look a little bit better at thirty-one twenty, and then just got completely trucked by San Jose State. And Doug Brumfield got hurt in that game as well. So we'll see if he's able to play. That could necessitate another adjustment for UNLV. But this is kind of the thing that happens to some of these programs. And I think Oregon State could have fallen victim to it, as we just alluded to. But these programs that all of a sudden get a little bit of early season success, and then something goes wrong, and it's possible for the wheels to just completely fall off. So that's something that people want to look at here as we go forward throughout the rest of the year, that what you've seen so far may not be what you see going forward. If that momentum is kind of upended, if some key player gets hurt, something like that, it can really send a team into a tailspin. And I think if Brumfield isn't able to play this week for UNLV, this might be the game where we see Air Force kind of look like the team that we expected. Uh, It's too little too late for you and I, I think. But I think that Air Force could end up really blowing this team out if Brumfield's not able to go.
1: Well, I think you need to be there with your Air Force gear on and saying, hey, I got a, over eight and a half wins on you, so, you know, shape up here. Um, you know, one thing that you pointed out in your article and that's really challenging, and I actually asked Brad Powers about this on our you know, fees in primetime last week about how do you go about properly handicapping teams with quarterback injuries and we got a lot of them right i mean will levis is out against south carolina south carolina beats kentucky malik cunningham's out against uva with louisville uva stinks louisville still finds a way uh alabama doesn't have bryce young they look completely different kj jefferson was out uh, for arkansas uh, Jalen Daniels goes out, and and the the backup being was was pretty impressive, in my opinion. So you pointed some of these things out. I want to mention Dave Dorn, and this kind of goes to the frustration of a lot of college football bettors, Adam, about injuries and what we do not know. This was his response, Dave Dorn, about De- uh, Devin Leary and his shoulder injury. He said, quote, rehab able injury, and that starts today there isn't a timeline. It could be this week. It could be six weeks. I mean, that is just so infuriating when it comes to trying to figure out what players are available. So, I mean, as you pointed out, NC State, they could be losing a all-conference quarterback for six weeks, or they could have him this weekend. You know, we don't know. And that's, that's kind of the frustration of of trying to know what's going on with injuries.
0: Yeah, it's really difficult. And and from an odds maker standpoint, it's really difficult as well. And, and what I've kind of found is when they open the games early in the week, they kind of split the difference. It'll be somewhere in between the full adjustment if a player is officially ruled out of a game. So they'll make, you know, let's say, for example, like I think Will Levis is worth about seven points to the spread for Kentucky. So they'd probably shade Kentucky's line, maybe three and a half points off of their power rating with Levis, and then see what happens throughout the course of the week. And you know, that news came down that Levis was maybe not going to play last week, and that number started dropping like a rock. Then there was a report that maybe he was going to be able to go. So then that line kind of ticked back up a little bit. It's very difficult. And and this is where You know, in the NFL, the NBA, all that kind of thing, like all of this news is very, very public. The insiders get to it very quickly, all of that. We don't have the same thing in college football. Some things get announced, some things don't. You know, we haven't really known who Liberty's starting quarterback is going to be the last two or three weeks, just as one example. So it's very, very hard, and it also makes it difficult to kind of bet some of these games early on in the week, make some speculative plays, hoping somebody's able to go, thinking somebody will be able to go. So it's, it's tough. And then also something else that I mentioned in the Power Ratings article is in this era of college football free agency, players being able to transfer very quickly if they want to, we're seeing quicker trigger fingers from coaches in the group of five. And I think I kind of mentioned this at the top of the show, but there have been some surprises where we've had some guys start a quarterback that we really didn't expect. And what happens is they play great in that first game because there's no film on them and the offense winds up being a little bit different. And then in the second game, after you think, oh, this offense has gotten a lot better, in the second game, the defense adjusts, has film, they're able to do things differently, and then that guy doesn't play as well. So, you know, college football free agency throws a wrench into a lot of things, and I always thought of it as more the transfer portal and the offseason stuff, but I'm finding out now, and in some respects the hard way, how much it matters with personnel within the season as well.
1: So once again, you can always check out Adam's write-up, VEASAN.com, each and every Monday, his updated power ratings. We try to take a look at the, the biggest names, the biggest movers as well, his updated spreads, best bets that he is intrigued by based off his power ratings. One thing I want to take a look at, because this, this slate this weekend is absolutely tremendous, right? Penn State, Michigan, noon Eastern. Um, you know, at, in that three thirty window, Alabama, Tennessee, Lord knows what those ratings will be at the same time. Oklahoma takes on Oklahoma state. I should say takes on TCU NC state If Devin Leary's playing. I mean, this game's on the ACC network folks, NC state at Syracuse, it's a top 20 showdown. And then at nighttime, you know, one of the games that certainly I've been looking forward to for quite some time, USC, Utah, I know a little buzz has taken off with UCLA, uh, smoke in Utah. And then you've also got Clemson and Florida state. So
0: I thought you were going to couple...
1: New Mexico and New Mexico state. I mean that game too. I mean, that's a,
0: that's a huge, huge <laughs> yeah, game. That game too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That one,
0: that one that battle you know. for the battle for the victory bell, North Carolina and Duke. Nice little rivalry game there.
1: Yeah. Good. Good on them. Getting a primetime spot there for the old, uh... on the ACC network. <laughs> <laughs> At least I get that channel. Unlike other, uh, networks from conferences, Um, but I I did want to mention this, you know, whether it is square dogs, dogs with fleas, as Chris Felica likes to say, four of these teams, and you know how this isn't the sole way I handicap, but you know, I look at the line that seems a little fishy and sometimes you know, I embrace the stink of that, Adam. So a couple of these games I think are going to be very, very, very public dogs which i say is always kind of a worry just be careful and i'll start with utah and usc i already thought this game would be a public dog situation but the scenario that we have going into this game which is utah just got smashed on national television and usc's undefeated Uh, i don't think they've looked all that impressive but they've figured out ways and here they are undefeated and yet they're catching points. And we've seen this number, you know, touch three, bounce right back up. We'll see what it ultimately does. But it's one of those games that I always like to point out when it's just hanging there three and a half, it's it's like that old Geico commercial where the guy is dangling the dollar, like, ooh, I got a dollar. I mean, does this is that it's too good to be true type of situation. I really like Utah. I want to get three. Maybe we'll get three. But I, I just
0: feel like this is going to be a very public side come Saturday night. All right. So I'm going to get on a soapbox here for a minute. And maybe I shouldn't. But... you to yell at me? No, I'm not going to yell at you. But maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> but look, the the problem with betting splits and looking at them specifically from an individual source is that some books take... A different nature of action than others. There are going to be some sports books that take almost exclusively public action. There are going to be some, and most notably in the offshore markets, that will take sharper action at some higher limits. So to me, I think instead of looking at the betting splits and the percentages and this and that, you mentioned this, Tim, and you're absolutely right with what you said. You want to look for context clues in the line. You want to look and see Does this Utah game close three and a half? If it does, that really says a lot about, you know, kind of the sharper market perception of Utah, because USC has done no wrong, really, to this point in the season. Utah's got a couple of losses, so people will kind of look at USC, and maybe I'm guilty of this in my power ratings, where I've got USC minus one in this game now, but, you know, you want to look for those context clues with the line with where the line goes, where there is kind of a line of demarcation, so to speak, where you get the books really digging in. Those are the things I think you really want to look for. Something like in Oklahoma State and TCU is another example where Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy is really good in the underdog role. Really, really good. But we see this line with TCU now as high as four out there in the marketplace. It's gone up from three with juice or three and a half to four. That's a big early week indicator for me that the betting splits aren't going to show in most cases. So I think you want to look for the context clues that are out there with what the line is doing and what the line is saying. And I think that's a lot more powerful than looking at these percentages where, you know, sometimes they're a consensus, sometimes they're just from one book. They're not always going to be all that accurate and all that reliable. But the lines themselves and the movement of them or the non-movement of them, I think is what is the most reliable thing that you want to take a look at.
1: Yeah. And, and, and honestly, you know, for me and people have heard me say, you know, this line stinks, it's a stinky line. The reason I say that you have to know what these teams have done too. And when I started getting into that type of handicapping, it was, there wasn't betting splits out there or maybe one side or two had them, right? but you could just kind of gauge the perception. And uh, I joke with a friend of mine, I call it the neighbor Nick theory where, you know, you have that, that friend who doesn't really follow sports all that much kind of say, Hey, you know, I'll give you an example, Kansas this weekend, your friend who watches a little bit of college football will adjust have seen Oklahoma lost by 49 points to Texas. They suck. They're 0-3 in the Big 12 or whatever they are. And Kansas was right there with uh was right there with TCU and and they've been the darling this year in five and one, and yet they're a seven and a half point underdog against Oklahoma. Well, that just seems easy. Give me the points. And every once in a while, maybe your neighbor is right, but I, I just say, you know, like be careful with those types of lines. And, you know, going back to what you said about, you know, that three and a half. I think Notre Dame, BYU, maybe not to the extent of some of these games this weekend, but I thought that was a tell last week why I ultimately felt pretty confident that Notre Dame was the right side because BYU was, you know, 16th in the country. And I sometimes, you know, it's it's not foolproof, but when you see those perceived better teams, quote unquote, getting points, it kind of tells you what the odds makers truly think of those teams and you know, they they make ratings, not rankings. You've heard, you know, people say that before. So, you know, running through a couple of these games, mentioning USC-Utah, uh, Kansas, like I mentioned, still in the top 25, number 19, yet they're catching a touchdown against Oklahoma on the road. Tennessee and Alabama. You know, Alabama, life and death with Texas A&M. Tennessee goes on the road, Adam, and smashes LSU. Now they're home and they're catching north of a touchdown here i i don't know what to do with this game because i've been impressed by tennessee and i've had a lot of questions about alabama and i don't know what this line's ultimately going to do because the fact that it's sitting there at seven and a half and it's just kind of hanging and now it's a long week ahead but that is a bit of a tell to me too that wow, Alabama's still laying north of a touchdown. It seems pretty easy to just grab that touchdown and a hook right now with a home team that's, you know, top 10 in the country.
0: Well, especially when you consider, and and I mean, my power ratings are are not the be all end all, but they are a guide and they do kind of keep me from, you know, some of those overreactions and things like that. And even if you don't do your own power ratings or you don't want to read mine or you want to factor mine in, you can look at Sagarin. you can look at, you know, Brad Powers does a great newsletter where he posts his power ratings those things will help you kind of stay grounded, kind of not fall into you know, some of these traps that you mentioned of, of teams like Kansas or or a team like Tennessee in this instance. But my line is 12 and a half here if Bryce Young plays. If Bryce Young doesn't play, my number is six and a half. So that's definitely closer to the market number and the indications that we've got right now based on where this number is would suggest to me that they don't think Bryce Young is going to play. So... That all of a sudden becomes really interesting, and obviously we'll have to watch the market movement for this one. If it goes up, Bryce Young is probably going to play. If it goes down, then Bryce Young's not going to play. So you can also use the betting markets as a guide for getting injury information. But the idea that even without Bryce Young, with Jalen Milrow at quarterback, Alabama's still laying over a touchdown against a Tennessee team that. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Tennessee was being power-rated like a top-five team. They were being bet like a top-five team. Now they more or less are, and they're still getting over a touchdown against Alabama at Rocky Top. That is a very strong position, I think, from the books. And again, obviously, we'll wait and see uh, if we get some indicators with regards to Bryce Young's status.
1: Well, and you you do have to – and I know this is what you do on a weekly basis too – is you you have to look inside these box scores right not every score is made equal and i think you have to take a look back at you know some of the texas a&m positions right i think the a lot of people might just say well i saw the highlights and texas a&m had a chance to score on the final play of the game to beat alabama in alabama you know, how good can Alabama really be? You know, Haynes King got benched and now he's back after Max Johnson gets hurt. Well, Jalen Milrow was not on the top of his game, right? I mean, four turnovers, bunch of short fields. So while I'm not saying that Alabama is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, if Bryce Young is, is is indeed back, I mean, he's the best player from a year ago in college football and he didn't play last weekend. And the guy that filled in for him had a lot of turnovers, and that was a massive issue. I mean, Texas A&M won that turnover battle four to one, and you have to factor that into, you know, not every final score is really indicative of how a particular game played out.
0: No, absolutely not. And for me, one of the things that I look at, and this is part of my process for updating my power ratings, I look at yards per play in every game. And in this game, Alabama had 5.7 yards per play to 4.5 for Texas AM. This should not have been a four point game. Why was it a four point game? Turnovers. Exactly the reason that you mentioned. I mean, Texas AM had, you know, they had some very short scoring drives in this game. Their two touchdown drives in the second quarter were both under 50 yards. Their longest scoring drive in this game was 53 yards, and it was the 46 yard field goal that made it a 24 to 20 game. So, Turnovers are a really big deal. They can make a lopsided box score into a close final score. And that's what this was here for Alabama, where they had 5.7 yards per play. They ran the ball 51 times in this game. You're not supposed to have almost six yards per play when you're running at 51 out of 70 offensive plays. So that's one where the turnovers were the big story in that game. And I do think it's not only possible for people to overreact to the Alabama side, but to also overreact to the Texas A&M side and say, "Oh, look, you know, look at how close they played with Alabama. That game really wasn't that close."
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And a couple of final thoughts here, and you know, we'll we'll do a full breakdown, and, and Adam will have his write ups for Veasan I will as well. The Oklahoma State game against TCU this upcoming weekend is 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 really intriguing to me. I don't know what to make of Oklahoma State right now. They're undefeated, but you know, you look back at at the game against Texas Tech, I, I wanna say if I, I I don't have the numbers up in front of me. I believe they had like a 14% win expectancy per Bill Conley. I mean, that was not really they were outgained by almost a hundred yards in that game against Texas Tech, who was starting a, a freshman quarterback. I don't know what to make of this Oklahoma State team. I don't think their defense is very strong, which is surprising. And, you know, I, I think that TCU, who did ultimately cover against Kansas, and they've got now their, you know, third consecutive big game, right? Oklahoma, then Kansas, where college game day was, and now Oklahoma State. But they got this game at home, and I. They got some playmakers, man. Quentin Johnston is just a phenomenal, phenomenal wide receiver. And Max Duggan is, you know, putting up some big time numbers, even though I thought he was a little bit off against Kansas. So I'm curious what your numbers say about Oklahoma State TCU. Because once again, there's another one of those lines. You've got a top 10 team catching three and a half, and it's kind of hanging out there at three and a half. It's not going through that key number, uh, even though in, in this particular game with the, with the high variance of a pretty high total, I don't know how much the three is going to matter in this particular game because I I expect this game to be quite high scoring, and that's what the number is telling you because it's 68,
0: 68 68.5 out there. Yeah, I have this one TCU minus 3.5. And And, and look, TCU is number one in the country in yards per play, 8.08. That's just a little bit better than Ohio State at 8.07, and then Alabama 7.49. So a big gap between TCU, Ohio State, and the rest of the teams around the country. And the more I started looking at this TCU team coming into the season, the more I thought this could be the surprise team out of the Big 12. And I've been surprised with Kansas State, who, by the way, I have no idea how the hell Kansas State didn't cover that game this past weekend. Some losses piss you off more than others. That was one of them for <laughs> me. Um, but
1: you weren't, you, here, you weren't here. You weren't here last weekend to hear me complain about the Iowa State. Uh, field goal situation against Kansas uh, last yeah. week, which was just
0: dreadful. This is, uh, I I don't know why we bet actual hard-earned money on these things sometimes. <laughs> but look, you know, I have TCU, like I said, minus three and a half. And, and you know, as, you're, as you said, Oklahoma State's defense, I mean, this has been a program built on defense over the last few years. Maybe they're missing Jim Knowles quite a bit, but right now they are 56th in the country in yards per play allowed. So this is a defense that has fallen off a little bit. They've only played the 65th ranked schedule in the country, according to Sagarin. now they take on the best offense in the country by yards per play. And again, as I mentioned earlier, Oklahoma State is known as being a really good dog for Mike Gundy. These are the types of games that Mike Gundy typically wins. If we see this go to four market-wide or possibly end up going higher at some point, that will be an indicator that TCU is the quote-unquote sharp side here in this game. And there are sharp betters on both sides of every game, so it's kind of oversimplified to say sharp side, public side, all of that. But this is one where you want to look for the context clues in the market because it would appear that people are coming around on TCU, maybe souring a little bit on Oklahoma State.
1: One quick game I want to mention, and we won't do a full letdown spot because I don't think there's a ton of them out there because a bunch of these teams have buys like UCLA. Uh, South
0: Carolina, Arizona State, they all have buys. But Let me ask you about this one real quick. Because I know our colleague, Wes, Went- or Wes Reynolds, let me say his name right here, um, <laughs> I-, I know that he likes to look at this angle a lot, and it is a yeah. very terrifying angle this week to step in front of this James Madison juggernaut. <laughs> what the Dukes have done this season is absurd. I mean, they've been dominant outside of that first half against App State. They've been outright dominant, but West likes to fade teams when they get put into the top 25. And -hmm. for James Madison, making the leap from FCS to FBS, they're a top 25 team six weeks into their first season as an FBS member. Could you possibly step in front of them this week with Georgia Southern? I would think about it.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're undefeated against the spread five and Oh, um, you know, I I like to try to find the times. I'm that guy too, where I know that teams more than likely aren't going to go unbeaten against the spread. So when are those times to to find the opposite side? Um, I mean, you're you're the Sun Belt guy, so you you've kind of you know changed around on Georgia Southern here. So is ten and a half too much? I mean, you know, James Madison. The thing you have to keep in mind, though, uh, the oddity about James Madison is. They can't go to a bowl game this year, which is just absurd in its own right. So I don't know if they just kind of keep that motivation just rolling straight ahead. Uh, I know there are a bunch of people who were out there thinking that Arkansas State was the right side last weekend and James Madison won by 22 points. So I, I, I'll i be honest, I haven't dug in enough on, on, on the Dukes heading into this spot. Uh, I thought two weeks ago, off the App State win... Playing Texas State, who, by the way, beat App State this past weekend because nothing makes sense in college football right now. I thought James Madison was a tricky spot there. The hurricane was coming. They won by 27 points. So I don't know what to do. I don't really want to get in front of that train. But that said, you know, sometimes you do. You have to You have to uh, take that leap of faith. And look. Ultimately, I took a bite on Indiana plus 22. I didn't really want to do it. I didn't write it up, but I felt like that was a terrible spot for Michigan. And ultimately, uh, it proved out,
0: fortunately, there at the end. So what would you do here? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I made another adjustment and moved James Madison up three and a half points again in my power ratings. So I've got this one up to 14 and a half. So I had it closer to the number before I adjusted James Madison up again. So maybe that's an indicator that I'm at sort of a sell high point on the Dukes, but I think something that's interesting about this game is James Madison has given up 75 points in five games. This total is 67. So either there's a belief, and it's gone up, by the way, either there's a belief that Georgia Southern can move the ball on James Madison, or that James Madison is just going to take advantage of what is a god-awful Georgia Southern defense and just go ahead and hang at least 40, if not more, in this game, so I think that's what's kind of intriguing is to see this total get bet up when you have a James Madison team that's what they've allowed four yards per play this season. Yeah, um, could I? Uh, <laughs> I was gonna
1: try try to see if I could interest you in uh, where was that game I was looking at here? If it's uh, UConn and Ball
0: State, the answer is yes.
1: <laughs> uh, it was coming off a of buy. And the red-hot nature that interim coaches are are deal, dealing with fresh off a of 4-0 weekend, all as underdogs. Well, I guess Wisconsin wasn't an underdog. Can I interest you in Colorado catching north of two touchdowns <laughs> against Cal? God.
0: Um, Come on. I mean, I, I have coaches this. coaches are where it's at. I have this game lined about 17. But that's a really big ask for a pretty limited Cal offense, not to mention the total on this game is only forty eight. And when you get a total kind of in the the mid forties or lower, you kinda of want to adjust your power rating a little bit and adjust that spread down if it's a big number. Uh, the one thing is, you know, we all knew that Carl Durrell was was not going anywhere with this program this season. He was either going to be fired during the year or at the end of it. So sometimes the kids just kind of respond to not having that dark cloud playing free and easy. Typically a team will, you know, name an interim who's a special teams coordinator or a position coach or some guy who's just got a really fiery personality and it can work. I mean, my line's higher than the market, but I, I would lean Colorado. Maybe I'd bet Colorado with Sean King's money, just not my own. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah. Nebraska didn't cover, but one Georgia tech, Arizona state, both won as dogs and Wisconsin won big uh, as a, Favorite last week against Northwestern. You wanted to hit on Wisconsin. So they're now a seven and a half point favorite over Michigan State. This opened at four on Sunday at circa. Within 10 minutes, it was up to five. Within an hour, it was five and a half. And by Monday, it was north of a touchdown. So what do we expect from Wisconsin? What do you expect from Wisconsin? Because, you know, Braylon Allen tweeting out about, you know, Paul Crist and how nobody was anti-Paul Crist. That, that, that's all great, but Jim Leonard knows, and I think his players know, they're coaching for his job. If they want Jim Leonard to be the head coach of Wisconsin, they got to go, what, five and one? You know, they they got to look the part because Lance Leopold is is Wisconsin native, you know, Matt Rule is now available. So they have to prove that he's the right guy for this job. So I'm really intrigued to see what Wisconsin does the remainder of the season, especially Adam against inferior competition, like in Northwestern, like a Michigan State. So this number has ballooned. It is now north of a touchdown with a low total of 48. But that totals also ballooned six points from forty-two and a half to forty-eight. So, what what are your expectations of Wisconsin kind of moving forward?
0: Well, I think Jim Leonard could run the table, and they're still going to hire Lance Leopold. So, really, I don't.
1: I think that the soldier that Jim Leonard has been over the years, if he goes undefeated and they go to the Big Ten championship game, I think they they keep him. I I think this is a Marcus Freeman. Notre Dame situation. Um, you know, he's an all American who played there, turned down the Packers defensive coordinator job, turned down tons of suitors. I feel like, and this is not I have no proof of this, but I really believe they fired Paul Chris because they know they had to see what they had in Jim Leonard. So I'm of the belief if they do well, he'll be the head coach. And if he doesn't, then they say, Okay, we gave you an opportunity. Now we're gonna go get you know, Lance Leopold.
0: My first thought was that they fired Paul Chris to let Lance Leopold know the job is his, if he wants it. Mm -hmm. That was, was my thought because again, Lance Leopold not only did he coach at Wisconsin Whitewater and was of course very successful there. He was a graduate assistant at Wisconsin too. That's where he got his start as a, as basically a coach. So I look, I guess I'll say this. One of us from the state of
1: Wisconsin, he played high school, you know, he played college football, Whitewater, you, know, you look, he's got tons of ties. It makes a ton of sense. But so did Jim Leonard. And he was an all American there. And, you know, he's thought to be really a bright mind. So I think it's, you know, it's a great spot in a in a theory for Wisconsin to be in. But I think there's a part of Wisconsin that, you know, is gonna really want to play for him. And and maybe that's why you're could see Wisconsin, even though they're not a team that really kicks teams' asses. As we've seen, we might see them cover a bunch of numbers here over the
0: next couple weeks. I'll say the last thing I'll say on the coaching thing is one of us will be right. It, it will either be <laughs> Leapold or, or Jim Leonard. Unless unless they completely bottom out, then, you know, Jim Leapold or uh, Lance Leapold and, and and Leonard will be the two guys kind of fighting for that job. I'll say this. If Wisconsin doesn't have to throw the football, they should cover a lot of games the rest of the way. And I don't think they should really have to cover the football or uh, throw the football here against Michigan State where Sparty's just, they given up over four yards per carry. They're not very physical this year. They are just kind of undermanned in a lot of their games. Wisconsin should be able to push them around, and and that would be the hope. And maybe what the market is kind of telling us here with this number pushing out to seven and a half. I have at seven. I was impressed. Northwestern is pathetic, but I was still impressed that Wisconsin responded the way that they did Especially because the Paul Christ firing kind of came out of nowhere in a lot mm-hmm. of respects. So, And you had
1: players being vocal
0: in defense of Paul Christ. Right. And so they responded I, with a, a butt whooping. Right. And and maybe they just ride that wave into this game. And I know we're running long. I want to ask you about one yeah. other conference game here I think is extremely fascinating. Florida State and Clemson. And this is one where, again, you're going to get some context clues in the betting market where we've already seen this line come down a little bit with some Florida State interest. It's three and a half or four with Clemson road favorite in Tallahassee. I think a lot of people are going to look at Florida State and they kind of vaguely sort of remember the LSU game, but they're going to look at what Florida State's done here lately. The close loss to NC State, the loss to Wake Forest, yeah, they blew out Boston College, who's not a good team this year. But also, they probably shouldn't have won that game against Louisville. So people are going to look at that and sort of be like, okay, I don't think Florida State's very good. I'm just going to go ahead and lay this Clemson road number. So that's where I think the watching the market and kind of figuring out what the sharper perspective is out there on this game is going to be very, very important. If you see this one come down to three, or if you see – you know, maybe three and a half minus 105, something along those lines. That's going to be really telling. I know people loved Florida State a few weeks ago. I don't know if they still do. My line's four on this game, by the way. But this is one I think that bears a lot of watching out there in the market. And I'll say this.
1: People need to recognize this is the first really – and I look. This is no knock on on Boston College and, and what last weekend meant. You know the Red Bandana game has has incredible meaning for for that university and you know means so much and, and raises money and and we know the meaning behind that. But the atmospheres that Clemson has played in this year, Georgia Tech essentially a home game at Mercedes Benz Dome basically was a home game, Wake Forest a home game essentially. This is the first, in my opinion, true road atmosphere that Clemson's going to be a part of with a night game in Tallahassee, national television. And, you know, I know Florida State has kind of taken a little bit of a step back after getting into the top 25. But like I said, with some of those, you know, trendy dogs that I expect this week, I think this is, as you pointed out, going to be a very popular favorite where it's, oh, Clemson, they're rolling right now. And maybe they are. And I think Clemson will be in the playoff. But I think this is a really tricky spot for the Tigers here in in what I deem as their first real true road test. Night game at Tallahassee. I think this is going to be a phenomenal atmosphere. Um, You know, Jordan Travis didn't play all that well against NC State. And uh, you know we'll see what he has, but you know you think back to last uh, Labor Day weekend when Notre Dame went into Tallahassee. Notre Dame escaped, and you know Florida State scored 18 on answer to force overtime, but they covered. Florida State did so. I th- I think this is a not as easy as some people would anticipate. And I'll just say this: some of the sharper books out there have three and a halfs, while there's fours in the market. So that that's what I would kind of point at is like, yeah. Be careful. This isn't maybe as easy as as some would think with Clemson coming to town you know, and Florida State riding this two-game losing streak.
0: Yeah, and I think that's important that you pointed out, and I, I don't want to name names here. And I don't think yeah. we should really do that, but there are some books out there that are going to be much stronger indicators of kind of what the sharper perspective is. And again, as I mentioned, some of them are offshore. But you know, to your point, like you said, you know, you've got kind of some more public books out there that are still hanging the four on Clemson, some of the sharper books with the three and a half. And again, that's I think you, these, those are the context clues that matter. Those are the things that you really want to take a look at, particularly early on in the week, where a lot of people don't feel comfortable making a bet, tying up their money. They like to bet day of the game, stuff like that. And obviously we discourage that for a variety of different reasons. But if you are going to be somebody that bets closer to kickoff, Take stock of where a line opened and then take stock of how it moved throughout the week. You know, Tuesday limits get increased. Thursday limits get increased again. You get some of the big syndicates that come in on Tuesday that will move numbers around. You know, just look at the kind of the shelf life of a line. Look at how it's matured from open up to kickoff. And you can use some of those cues and clues to kind of, you know, make a, a sharper, more you know, more knowledgeable wager, uh, even if you are closer to game time.
1: And, and I would say this, one my final thought here uh, on this podcast as we've gone long, again, as we always do, I, I see a four now out there in favor of Syracuse. I would keep a very close eye on that line. Situationally, Syracuse coming off of a basically back to back buys because they played what Wagner two weeks ago um and nc state the devin leary injury you know as 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 you pointed out adam you know you you ding them even before the leary injury and if if leary's not available man i i think this spot really favors syracuse considering what they've you know what they've played lately right wagner two weeks ago off last week nc state you know beats Florida state in a hard fought game very fortunate to come out of that game with a victory and and now Syracuse is laying 4 uh in some spots keep an eye on that line because i think it's telling you kind of giving you an indicator of of the likelihood and and i don't know you know that 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 quote from Dave Doran saying well it could be this week it could be 4 weeks or 6 weeks yeah usually when coaches say something like that i mean i'm not I'm speculating, but usually when college coaches say, uh, oh, it could be this week or it could be six weeks, usually it's more the latter than the former.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The coaches may not be forthcoming with that information, but the betting market should be because people know people that go to practice. People know people that are reporters for the teams, stuff like that. Information finds a way to leak through in the betting market. And as you said, if you know we wake up on Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning, something like that, and this line's all of a sudden five, six, whatever the case may be, we know that Leary is not going to play. Yeah, be wary of the public
1: dog. I'll just say that. And uh, as Adam said eloquently, and I agree, not all you know betting splits are made equal, um, but you know lines do usually tell a story, and it's not always a true story. Sometimes uh you think a line is is wrong and it ends up being uh it ends up being right but that is uh that's gonna do it for this make sure to read all of adam's work on vcin.com. Uh you could follow him on twitter at skating tripods i will be back with matt humans on the thursday edition when we break down the entire card we'll give out our best bets Adam will give out his best bets on that podcast as well. Uh, Once again, as I always say, please rate, review, and subscribe. That's the biggest point right there. Uh, We're rolling, man. Keep it up. Please tell people about us. Uh, Three episodes each and every week here in this feed, breaking it down from the open to a full breakdown of the card Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So please rate, review, and subscribe. Let's keep it rolling here. But for this edition uh, a lengthy one for Adam Burke. I'm Tim Murray. We will talk to you on Thursday right here on the v Sin College Football Betting Podcast.